morning, Hope Church. Um, it's a privilege for me again to come to you live from the high tech production studios uh, where there's lots of fun from early in the morning. So, thank you for everyone that is making this happen. Um, you know what? I mean, this morning I was so particularly encouraged by how our Father God continues to surprise us uh, with His love and His care. I mean, everything from uh, the words that were shared and from Jody's worship. It was so much of, of God just inviting us into his presence. And at this time of the year when, as we've heard, people are saying that uh, they're tired. And uh, Father God is just inviting us into his presence and say, I really care for you. And um, as you can see on, on the slide, I've labeled today's talk being family. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in our house, we call these uh, family meetings. Um, and we sit down around the table and you just talk about things that you need to talk about. Uh, you need to talk about family events and you need to talk about um, sometimes just stop for a moment and assess uh, where, where we are. And um, when we continue with the Luke series today from Luke 17, it is, this is after a, a series of events as we sort of recap over what has happened over the last couple of months where Jesus is out in public, he's um, ministering, he's having a meal with the Pharisees, and he's really calling out their uh, legalism. Um, and he, he continues to minister to people, and he talks about the lost. He challenges us to really seek the lost. And, um, uh, and, and we've been challenged in a few sermons with that. Last week, um, Jesus very passionately reminded us that there's only one of two things that can happen. There's either eternity in the presence of God or eternity now. And it's for us now to carry that message uh, with, with passion. And we come into Luke 17, and it is as if Jesus is just calling us in for a family meeting. Um, and he talks to his disciples very specifically in these sort of uh, first four verses that we're going to spend time on uh, today. And um, I have to say, as I was preparing for this, it... it will feel like quite a direct and a strict message, if you want, uh, when uh, Jesus is talking to us about caring for the family. Um, and I therefore feel really just blessed that Father God is inviting us into this presence this morning, expressing so much of his love, um, expressing the fact that his burden is not heavy. Uh, but as sometimes happen in a family meeting, there are stuff that he needs to tell us stuff that we need to think about um, and that we need to focus on. So let's dive uh, straight in and read those four verses from Luke 17. Jesus said to his disciples, stumbling blocks are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and be thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Even if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times returns to you saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Right. Really three, four short verses uh, broken out into two areas. The first two talking to us about um, protecting each other. Uh, not causing people to stumble, and the following to focusing on forgiveness. Um, so 
I've split the, the talk into those two areas. So if we um, look at the, the first part, so where Jesus tells us not to stumble, let's dive back into those uh, two verses and just see what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. So Jesus said to his disciples, stumbling blocks are sure to come. Okay, that is going to happen. It's inevitable. We live in a world of brokenness, fallen, rebellious world. Just get ready. That's part of the reality that we're currently living in. There are stumbling blocks that will challenge our faith, that will challenge our walk. Uh, there are temptations around us, and it's part of, of our reality. But it goes on to say, but woe to the one through whom they come. True believers have a responsibility towards each other. As a family, we need to protect our faith. Paul writes about this actually in two very chunky parts in Romans 14 uh, and 15. And then he repeats that when you write to the Corinthians in Corinthians um, uh, 1 Corinthians 8 to 10. Um, and if, if we just look at the, a, a couple of um, passages from that, there's the, the verses from Romans 14, uh, verse 15 and 21 I'm quoting here. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not destroy by your eating someone for whom Christ died. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Well, then he repeats that in Corinthians in the following words. Now food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. For this reason, if food causes my brother or sister to sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I may not cause one of them to sin. So an interesting, strong word from, from Jesus uh, there, and making it very clear to us that even in our walk out there, and as we gather as a family, and as we look after each other, uh, that there's things that we need to, to consider, things that we need to be aware of, even things that are as normal as something that we don't consider to be wrong, yes. but it may be a challenge to someone around us. And, and we need to be on the lookout for that. In verse 2, he then carries on to say, okay, it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and be thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, as I went through various commentaries, the little ones referred to here um, it looks like Jesus is talking about those who are young in their faith. Um, so he's, he's pointing us to the fact that um, there is something significant coming your way if you cause people to stumble in their faith. Now, the Jews being a semi-desert family, they were always very scared of a large body of water. So the whole prospect of being thrown into the, the sea must have been quite scary. But even today for us, the idea of drowning is obviously quite, quite scary. The severity of this warning is somehow surprising. But I think what Jesus is trying to tell us here is how important looking after the young in faith are to him. The fact that we carry as a family a responsibility to help people grow in their faith and not lose their way is what Jesus is telling us here. I mean, in fact, Jesus is saying that it's, it is better for someone to drown than to mislead those who are vulnerable in their faith. Mm. It doesn't say exactly what's going to happen to those if they cause them to, to stumble, but clearly it's saying it will be worse than being drowned. 
We are called to godly living. The Christian community must be one of openness and godliness, forgiveness, and fellowship. Wounded believers are a major problem. It was then, it still is today. It's unfortunately true that we all have stories of people that have either lost their faith or left the church family because of hurt, because of losing um, the authenticity mm. of the message that we carry, because of hurt that has been caused by fellow believers. In business, how many times have we heard, you can, you can trust me, I'm a Christian. And then those business dealings just fall flat or there's dishonesty there, significantly harming uh, people's understanding and belief of that. So what does this mean for us uh, in practice? What are a few other things? I was then looking at it and trying to find, so, so what are these stumbling blocks that Jesus are talking about? What are the things that we should be on the lookout for? Um, and there are a few verses I want to point you to that I found a few things to make us just aware of and, and that we may want to think about that. So the first one I have on there, I've labeled competing for the front seat in the church uh, or being a better Christian because of all the community stuff I do. I want to take you to the part in Matthew and it's repeated in Mark when the disciples are asking Jesus, so who is actually the most important? And Jesus served first. Uh, if we read what he says to them in Mark 9 verse 35, it says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant to all. Um, many years ago in one of the youth outreaches we did, we had this principle of being kind to someone without them knowing that it was you who were kind and without anyone else knowing that it was you who were kind to them. Trying to establish that principle that we serve because we serve out of love, not for the recognition of it. Um, the next one is really something that is a stark warning to uh, everyone that leads, including me standing here in front of you today, in terms of how careful we need to be, how we carry the message of the gospel. Um, in Romans 16, verse 17, Paul writes, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learn. It says, avoid them. Avoid them. In Revelation 2, verse 14, when he writes to the church in Pergamon, he says there, actually, there are a few things about you that I'm disappointed about. And he talks again about bringing obstacles that uh, make people stumble and, and do things that they shouldn't do. Flattery, I was surprised to find this one in a way. Um, so in Proverbs 26 verse 28, it says, a lying tongue hates those crushed by it and a flattering mouth works ruin. And in Proverbs 29, five, the one who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his steps. I, it looks like the suggestion there is that flattery can often be false and people see through falseness. And as a result, it's, there's a risk that if I'm not truthful in my compliments, if that is what flattery is interpreted as here, then the rest of my Christian message uh, may be doubt, doubted if I don't carry uh, the truthfulness through that. The next one is the, the use of liberties. And this is again a reference to what I referred to earlier about, but Paul is writing that even if eating meat is a challenge for someone next to me, then I would refrain from uh, that practice. So it's not something that is wrong, 
but it's just something that I need to refrain from for a time as I'm journeying with someone that is growing in their faith. Um, and we need to be on the lookout for that. Then the next one is passing judgment on others. Um, I often say, uh, well, let me first read what in Romans 14 verse 13, it says, therefore, we must not pass judgment on one another, but rather determine never to place an obstacle or a trap before a brother or a sister. And I have to ask myself the question when we are in conversation about people, would we be happy for them to be in the conversation when we have that conversation? Something I challenge my staff with in the office regularly. The risk is that if I talk to people about people, that they will then think, I wonder whether they talk about me like that when I'm not around. And what does that do to the authenticity of the message that we're trying to carry for love and care? Something for us to, to really look out for. Um, then in James 3, uh, it's talking about setting bad examples. I mean, that's where James talks about the tongue, the danger of the tongue, but he also refers to bitter jealousy and selfishness and lies uh, in that area. And just for us to watch out in terms of how we, how we carry ourselves, that we don't fall into, into that trap. To end with something that um, hopefully left us uh, all as well is that in 1 John 2 verse 10 it says, the one who loves his fellow Christian resides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And that, let that be the foundation of how we go about uh, dealing with uh, people around us. Let's be aware of those that are growing in their faith. Let's be aware of how we keep the authenticity of the message that we carry through the things we say, through the way we conduct ourselves, through the way we obey rules. Um, let's keep it truthful uh, in the way we, we carry that. So to move on to the second part of uh, these four verses, uh, which is really about forgiveness. It says you're rebuking and forgiveness because that is how Jesus leads us into it. The emphasis really is on forgiveness. So let's uh, look at those two verses uh, in a bit more detail again then. Watch yourselves if your brother's sin, rebuke them. If, if he repents, forgive him. The verse is telling us to be alert. If you see your friend going wrong, you have a duty to, to correct him. Yeah. If he responds, if he repents, then you forgive him. There is the parallel uh, pieces of scripture in Matthew 18, and again, Paul writes about it in Galatians 6 as well. But as the family of God, we, have we are responsible for one another. Believers are not to hold grudges or become bitter towards each other. Forgiveness always cleanses two hearts. If we read what uh, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 18, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and confront him while the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you have one back your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others with you so that every word may be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If, however, he ignores them, tell it to the congregation. Jesus is giving us a structure here in terms of how we work with our brothers, how we work with those close to us, how we work with the others within uh, our family when they are brokenness, when there's a relationship that's broken down, when there is a sense of hurt, a sense of sin being, uh, being done. 
Now, he carries on in verse 4 to say, even if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times returns to you, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Fellowship and restoration is not about numbers, but an attitude of acceptance, which is modeled by a gracious God and a sacrificial Messiah. Believers are to emulate the love and forgiveness of the Trinity. Mm. It's not about numbers. It's not about how many times someone comes back. It's about the attitude of acceptance. There is so much for us to consider in these few verses, in these two verses specifically. I've learned in life that there are always two sides to a story, and then there's the truth. As human beings, we are emotional, and we will almost always assess a set of facts with an emotional filter, which then makes it potentially flawed, and consequently just my opinion. Yes, it's my truth, but what is there that I don't know? What is there that I don't see? How do I react when I experience that? In Matthew 7, verse 1 to 5, Jesus is giving the following teaching. Stop judging so that you won't be judged. Because the way that you judge others will be the way that you will be judged. And you will be evaluated by the standard with which you evaluate others. Then it goes on to that very uh, familiar verses. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but fail to notice the beam in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when the beam is in your own eye? First remove the beam from your own eye and then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Also, these verses focus on the church family, as I've said. So unfortunately, we cannot hold non-believers uh, to the standard required in these verses because they don't acknowledge scripture uh, as, as authority. So sometimes you just have to let it slide uh, in order to continue sharing the love and the grace uh, in a way that will invite them and demonstrate them, uh, demonstrate to them the truth of eternal life through salvation in Christ. So remember that Jesus is talking to his family here. And then it does talk about rebuking, but I have to say to you, if you enjoy rebuking, then you're doing it wrong. Uh, you're not doing it with a godly mindset then, and you should stop that. The ultimate goal of rebuking here is to help the wrongdoer to repent. It's to guide the wrongdoer to do it right. It's not for you to win the fight. Or to be the better person. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 to 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good action. I think it's very important that what we, what we see here is that Jesus gives us that instruction to help our brother where they do wrong. But it's very clear that it needs to be with the godly mindset. It needs to come from the scripture. Uh, it almost, it needs to hurt you as much as it may hurt them to carry that conversation because we're trying to fix something that's wrong. Let's make sure that when we follow the guidance that Jesus is giving us here, that we do it from a godly mindset, do it from the biblical truth of the love and care that we read about uh, in scripture. 
So the focus here is a lot on forgiveness. Um, and I thought it would be helpful for us if we just spend a few moments just thinking about what, what does forgiveness mean in practice and what is Jesus, Jesus teaching us uh, around forgiveness. Um, and there is some, I mean, we've, we've been doing the courses here in church as well um, it, to, to help people through that, that processes. And, and some of what, what I will share now comes from, from that material uh, as well in terms of freedom in Christ. Uh, but the first bit I would just want to look at is something that I've sort of called the characteristics of forgiveness. And the first one on there is that forgiveness uh, is granted to those who sin against us. And I mean, we even get that in the model prayer that Jesus gives us. Uh, in Matthew, so when, when we pray that Father God for, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. Mm -hmm. So there's a very clear instruction for us to, to grant forgiveness in that way. Secondly, forgiveness is granted on the basis of a verbal confession only. Now we know words are cheap, um, but Jesus says forgiveness is given on repentance, repentance, not on evidence of the changed behavior, not on restitution. Not on after a following period of time. Forgiveness comes when you repent. Forgiveness is always available when you repent. Forgiveness is granted uh, to those who sin against us repeatedly and habitually. Oh, this is a tough one. You have to believe them every time they repent. That we've read in, the, in, the, in Luke 17 verse 4 is there, there as well. Now, humanly speaking, we would want to see change behavior as a proof of repentance. I've said that before. But the reality is that for some people, there, there needs to be healing from an addiction that needs other interventions. And it's therefore not to say that they're not truly sorry when they're not under the influence of that addiction or that behavior that they don't feel they have control of. And our job is to continue to love them and to continue to forgive when they say that they are sorry. So if we, in the next um, slide, few slides, I want to focus on a few practical thoughts uh, on forgiveness and, and just talk about what forgiveness is and what it's, what it's not. And the first one there is that forgiveness is not forgetting. Um, and this is simply not possible. Sometimes the hurt is just so deep that it is not something that we'll be able to forget necessarily. But healing comes over time, and over time, even forgetting could happen. But the critical thing is that it starts with forgiveness. Forgiveness needs to happen before that journey of healing can start. It's important as well that forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision of your will. We know that sometimes you've been hurt so deeply that you really long for that person to be punished over and over again for what they've done to you. Um, you want revenge, but God is very clear in telling us that we need to forgive and leave the judgment to him. It's not for us to direct or decide how much penalty there should be for someone that has hurt us. We need to free ourselves from the past by unhooking yourself from the person that hurt you. Forgiveness is a choice. Freedom comes from forgiveness. Forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sin. This is so pivotal for me here. Jesus died for our sins. He paid the ultimate price as a consequence of our sins. 
Don't you think that gives forgiveness legitimacy that is beyond any doubt? He died for us even before we loved him. He who was without sin was made to suffer death on the cross for our sins. Yes, we cannot escape the consequences of the sins people commit against us, but we still need to forgive them as we follow the, the way Jesus has done it for us. Forgiveness comes from the heart. Forgiveness is only real if we allow our emotions to serve. So that's just a practical thing. Uh, we, we need to do that. We need to allow it to, to come. And sometimes it's painful to, to go through that again. Uh, but it's necessary for the healing to start. Forgiveness is also choosing not to hold someone's sin against him or her. Um, you have to let the past go, as I've said before. Uh, and that is important for the healing. That does not mean that you have to be to continue to be exposed to their sin or the hurt that they, that they bring. Uh, if you have to set physical or spiritual boundaries, then seek assistance, seek guidance to achieve that, to protect yourself from future hurt. But you have to forgive. You still have to forgive. Forgiveness cannot wait until you feel like forgiving. Uh, this is a repeat of what we've, what we've said before. If you wait for your emotions to calm down before you prepare to forgive, there's a real risk that that will never happen. Mm -hmm. Satan will hold you in that unhealthy place uh, if you don't release it. There's a stronghold on you while that unforgiveness is there. Only once you've forgiven is there freedom for healing uh, of your emotional pain. I'm very aware that um, we've, we've come into this meeting today and I really felt like Father God was inviting us into his presence, making us so aware of how much he cares for us. And then he lets us dwell on these four verses where he's giving us very clear and sometimes difficult to hear instructions. Uh, sometimes it could feel like a burden. There's so much weight on our shoulders to look out for people around us to help those that still grow in their faith to stay on the path? How much do I need to watch over my shoulders just to make sure that I'm not doing something wrong that may cause me to be thrown in the sea with a bolster around my neck? I mean, it is a very direct teaching that Jesus is giving us here. He's talking very directly to us about uh, forgiveness in the church family and what that means and how we need to carry ourselves in that. And I do really feel that Father God is inviting us into his presence in that protective layer of his love where he then says, I give you some very direct uh, direction here. Uh, but I do it all in the protection of my love. As a, as a practical thing, um, just as we, as we close off, I, um, I thought it might be helpful, and this is um, some of the, the guidance that also comes from the Freedom in Christ uh, teaching, is just to, to, to give you something um, in, in terms of how one would sort of just carry that message, just make that part of your life to, to be able to pray a prayer such as, Lord, I choose to forgive and name the person for what they've done and how you felt. I mean, it's so important that the emotion comes out. Um, it's important for us, and I mean, as, we, as I've spoken today, it may be that there were names that came up. Um, 
that if, if there was no one that you feel that you need to forgive, then that is super. And that's a very thankful moment to be. And we can thank Father God for that. But there may be just someone in your, in your life, someone in your past that you still feel that you need to pray this prayer. It is also possible that you see, feel some anger towards God, that God can't sin. But it may be that something happened in your life which you are blaming God for. And part of this process is also to release that emotion to God. David did that, if you read the Psalms. I mean, you could talk to God about those things that he experienced. Feel free to bring your emotions so that God can help you with the, with the healing process there. And then once, once we've prayed that prayer, is then to release it. Lord, I choose not to hold on to my resentment. I thank you for setting me free from the bondage of my bitterness. I let go of my right to seek revenge and ask you to heal my damaged emotions. I ask you to bless the person that you thought about in the name of Jesus. I hope that what we've spoken about today give you a few practical things, also make you see the guidance that Jesus is giving us and that is really caring for us as believers. And he wants us as a church family to look out for each other, to really be in that space where we where we build up by not causing people to stumble, where we love unconditionally by correcting and by forgiving. May God bless you. Let's just close in prayer. Father of God, I, I, I just feel so much that you're coming to us today and you're saying that sometimes I want to sit down and just give you some very clear instruction. And Father, we know that you're receiving us in, in the space of your love and your compassion today, that you deeply care for church, you deeply care for the family of believers. And Father, as we go into this period of, uh, of December and Christmas time and um, people just want to relax again and tire, Father, I pray that your word today will also just settle in our heart in a place that we know that through your guidance and the truth of your word, Father, we can care for each other in a very special way also in this time. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, church. We are going to hand over to Paul, uh, who's going to lead us through the, the breakout room session. And um, yeah, so thank you. Over to Paul.